Chapter 10 Mayhem at the Ministry Mr Weasley woke them after only a few hours' sleep. He used magic to pack up the tents, and they left the campsite as quickly as possible, passing Mr Roberts at the door of his cottage. Mr Roberts had a strange, dazed look about him, and he waved them off with a vague, Merry Christmas! He'll be all right, said Mr Weasley quietly as they marched off onto the moor. Sometimes, when a person's memory is modified, it makes them a bit, a bit disorientated for a while. And that was a big thing that they had to make him forget. They heard urgent voices as they approached the spot where the port keys lay. And when they reached it, they found a great number of witches and wizards gathered around Basil, the keeper of the port keys, all clamouring to get away from the campsite as quickly as possible. Mr Weasley had a hurried discussion with Basil. They joined the queue and were able to take an old rubber tyre back to Stoatshead Hill before the sun had really risen. They walked back through Otteries and Catchpole towards the burrow in the dawn light, talking very little because they were so exhausted and thinking longingly of their breakfast. As they rounded the corner in the lane and the burrow came into view, a cry echoed along the damp lane. Oh, thank goodness, thank goodness. Mrs Weasley, who had evidently been waiting for them in the front yard, came running towards them, still wearing her bedroom slippers, her face pale and strained, a screwed-up copy of the Daily Prophet clutched in her hand. Arthur, I've been so worried, so worried. She flung her arms round Mr Weasley's neck and the Daily Prophet fell out of her limp hand onto the ground. Looking down, Harry saw the headline, Scenes of Terror at the Quidditch World Cup, complete with a twinkling black-and-white photograph of the dark magic over the treetops. You're all right, Mrs Weasley muttered distractedly, releasing Mr Weasley and staring around at them all with red eyes. You're alive, oh, boys! And to everybody's surprise, she seized Fred and George and pulled them both into such a tight hug that their heads banged together. Ouch, Mum, you're strangling us. I shouted at you before you left, Mrs Weasley said, starting to sob. It's all I've been thinking about. What if you know who had got you and the last thing I'd ever said to you was that you didn't get enough owls, oh, Fred, George. Come on now, Molly, we're, we're all perfectly OK, said Mr Weasley soothingly, prizing her off the twins and leading her back towards the house. Bill, he added in an undertone, pick up that paper, I want to see what it says. When they were all crammed into the tiny kitchen and Hermione had made Mrs Weasley a cup of very strong tea, into which Mr Weasley insisted on pouring a shot of Ogden's old fire whisky. Bill handed his father the paper. Mr Weasley scanned the front page while Percy looked over his shoulder. I knew it, said Mr Weasley heavily. Ministry blunders, culprits not apprehended, lax security, dark wizards running unchecked, national disgrace. I wrote this, uh, of course, Rita Skeeter. That 
That woman's got it in for the Ministry of Magic, said Percy furiously. Last week she was saying we're wasting our time quibbling about cauldron thickness when we should be stamping out vampires. As if it wasn't specifically stated in paragraph 12 of the guidelines for the treatment of non-wizard part humans. Do us a favour, Perse, said Bill, yawning, and shut up. I mentioned, said Mr Weasley, his eyes widening behind his glasses as he reached the bottom of the Daily Prophet article. Where? spluttered Mrs Weasley, choking on her tea and whisky. If I'd seen that, I'd known you were alive. Not my name, said Mr Weasley. Listen to this. If the terrified wizards and witches who waited breathlessly for news at the edge of the wood expected reassurance from the Ministry of Magic, they were sadly disappointed. A ministry official emerged sometimes after the appearance of the Dark Mark, alleging that nobody had been hurt, but refusing to give any more information. Whether this statement will be enough to quash the rumours that several bodies were removed from the woods an hour later remains to be seen. Oh, really, said Mr Weasley in exasperation, handing the paper to Percy. Nobody was hurt. What was I supposed to say? Rumours that several bodies were removed from the woods? Well, there certainly will be rumours now. She's printed that. He heaved a deep sigh. Molly, I'm going to have to go into the office. This is going to take some smoothing over. I'll come with you, father, said Percy, importantly. Mr Crouch will need all hands on deck, and I can give him my cauldron report in person. He bustled out of the kitchen. Mrs Weasley looked most upset. Arthur, you're supposed to be on holiday. This hasn't got anything to do with your office. Surely they can handle this without you. I've got to go, Molly, said Mr Weasley. I've made things worse. I'll just change into my robes and I'll be off. Mrs Weasley, said Harry, suddenly unable to contain himself. Hedvig uh, hasn't arrived with a letter for me, has she? Hedvig, dear, said Mrs Weasley, distractedly. No, no, there hasn't been any post at all. Ron and Hermione looked curiously at Harry. With a meaningful look at both of them, he said, All right, if I go and dump my stuff in your room, Ron. Yeah, I think I will too, said Ron at once. Hermione? Yes, she said quickly, and the three of them marched out of the kitchen and up the stairs. What's up, Harry, said Ron, the moment they'd closed the door of the attic room behind them. There's something I haven't told you, Harry said. On Sunday morning... I woke up with my scar hurting again. Ron and Hermione's reactions were almost exactly as Harry had imagined them back in his bedroom in Privet Drive. Hermione gasped and started making suggestions at once, mentioning a number of reference books and everybody from Albus Dumbledore to Madame Pumphrey, the Hogwarts matron. But Ron simply looked dumbstruck. But... He wasn't there, was he? You know who? I mean, last time your scar kept hurting, he was at Hogwarts, wasn't he? I'm sure he wasn't in Privet Drive, said Harry. But I was dreaming about him, him and Peter, you know, Wormtail. 
I can't remember all of it now, but they were plotting to kill uh, someone. He had teetered for a moment on the verge of saying, me, but he couldn't bring himself to make Hermione look any more horrified than she already did. It was only a dream, said Ron, bracingly. Just a nightmare. Yeah, but was it, though, said Harry, turning to look out of the window at the brightening sky. It's weird, isn't it? My scar hurts, and three days later the Death Eaters are on the march, and Voldemort's sign's up in the sky again. Don't say his name, Ron hissed through gritted teeth. And remember what Professor Trelawney said, Harry went on, ignoring Ron, at the end of last year. Professor Trelawney was their divination teacher at Hogwarts. Hermione's terrified look vanished as she let out a derisive snort. Oh, Harry, you're not going to pay any attention to anything that old fraud says. You weren't there, said Harry. You didn't hear her. This time was different. I told you, she went into a trance, a real one, and she said the Dark Lord would rise again, greater and more terrible than ever before, and he'd manage it because his servant was going to go back to him. And that night, Wormtail escaped. There was silence in which Ron fidgeted absent-mindedly with a hole in his Chudley Cannon's bedspread. Why were you asking if Hedfig had come, Harry? Hermione asked. Are you expecting a letter? I told Sirius about my scar, said Harry, shrugging. I'm waiting for his answer. Good thinking, said Ron, his expression clearing. I bet Sirius will know what to do. I hoped he'd get back to me quickly, said Harry. But we don't know where Sirius is. He could be in Africa or somewhere, couldn't he? said Hermione, reasonably. Hedvig's not going to manage that journey in a few days. Yeah, I know, said Harry, but there was a leaden feeling in his stomach as he looked out of the window at the Hedvig free sky. Come and have a game of Quidditch in the orchard, Harry, said Ron. Come on. Three on three, Bill, Charlie and Fred and George will play. And you can try out the Ronsky feint. Ron, said Hermione, in a I don't think you're being very sensitive sort of voice. Harry doesn't want to play Quidditch right now. He's worried and he's tired. We all need to go to bed. Yeah, I want to play Quidditch, said Harry suddenly. Hang on, I'll get my firebolt. Hermione left the room, muttering something which sounded very much like, Oh, boys! Neither Mr Weasley nor Percy was at home much over the following week. Both left the house each morning before the rest of the family got up and returned well after dinner every night. It's been absolute uproar, Percy told them importantly, the Sunday evening before they were due to return to Hogwarts. I've been putting out fires all week. 
People keep sending howlers, and of course, if you don't open a howler straight away, it explodes. Scorch marks all over my desk, and my best quill reduced to cinders. Why are they all sending howlers? asked Ginny, who was mending her copy of One Thousand Magical Herbs and Fungi with spello tape on the rug in front of the living room fire. Complaining about the security at the World Cup, said Percy. They want compensation for their ruined property. Mundungus Fletcher's put in a claim for a twelve-bedroomed tent with an ensuite jacuzzi. But I've got his number. I know for a fact that he was sleeping under a cloak propped on sticks. Mrs Weasley glanced at the grandfather clock in the corner. Harry liked this clock. It was completely useless if you wanted to know the time, but otherwise very informative. It had nine golden hands, and each of them was engraved with one of the Weasley family's names. There were no numerals around the face, but descriptions of where each family member might be. Home, school and work were there, but there was also lost, hospital, prison, and in the position where the number 12 would be on a normal clock, mortal peril. Eight of the hands were currently pointing at the home position. But Mr Weasley's, which was the longest, was still pointing at work. Mrs Weasley sighed. Your father hasn't had to go into the office at weekends since the days of you-know-who, she said. They're working him far too hard. His dinner's going to be ruined if he doesn't come home soon. Well, father's got... Father feels he's got to make up for his mistake at the match, doesn't he, said Percy. If truth be told, he was a tad unwise to make a public statement without clearing it with his head of department first. Don't you dare blame your father for what that wretched Skeeter woman wrote, said Mrs Weasley, flailing up at once. If Dad hadn't said anything, old Rita would just have said it was disgraceful that nobody from the minister had commented, said Bill, who was playing chess with Ron. Rita Skeeter never makes anyone look good. Remember, she interviewed all the Gringotts curse-breakers once and called me a long-haired pillock. Well, it is a bit long, dear, said Mrs Weasley gently, if you'd just let me... No, Mum. Rain lashed against the living room window. Hermione was immersed in the standard book of spells, grade four, copies of which Mrs Weasley had bought for her, Harry and Ron, in Diagon Alley. Charlie was darning a fireproof balaclava. Harry was polishing his firebolt, the broomstick servicing kit Harry, Hermione had given him for his 13th birthday, opened at his feet. Fred and George were sitting in a far corner, quills out, talking in whispers, their heads bent over a piece of parchment. What are you two up to? said Mrs Weasley sharply, her eyes on the twins. Um, homework, said Fred vaguely. 
Don't be ridiculous, you're still on holiday, said Mrs Weasley. Yeah, we have left it a bit late, said George. You're not by any chance writing out a new order form, are you? said Mrs Weasley shrewdly. You wouldn't be thinking of restarting Weasley's wizard wheezes by any chance? Now, Mum, said Fred, looking up at her, a pained look on his face. If the Hogwarts Express crashed tomorrow and George and I died, how would you feel knowing that the last thing we ever heard from you was an unfounded accusation? Everyone laughed, even Mrs Weasley. Oh, your father's coming, she said, suddenly looking up as the, at the clock again. Mr Weasley's hand had suddenly spun from work to travelling. A second later it had shuddered to a halt on home with the others and they heard him calling from the kitchen. Coming, Arthur, called Mrs Weasley, hurrying out of the room. A few moments later Mr Weasley had come into the warm living room carrying his dinner on a tray. He looked completely exhausted. Well... The fat's really in the fire now, he told Mrs Weasley as he sat down in an armchair near the fire and toyed unenthusiastically un with his somewhat shriveled cauliflower. Rita Skeeter's been ferreting around all week looking for more ministry mess-ups to report. And now she's found out about poor old Bertha going missing, so that'll be the headline in The Prophet tomorrow. I told Backman he should have sent someone to look for her ages ago. Mr Crouch has been saying it for weeks and weeks, said Percy swiftly. Crouch is very lucky Rita hasn't found out about Winky, said Mr Weasley irritably. There's a week, there'd be a week's worth of headlines in his house elf being caught holding the wand that conjured the dark mark. I thought we were all agreed that that elf, while irresponsible, did not conjure the mark, said Percy Hartley. If you ask me, Mr Crouch is very lucky no one at the Daily Prophet knows how mean he is to elves, said Hermione angrily. Now look here, Hermione, said Percy, a high-ranking ministry official like Mr Crouch deserves unswerving obedience from his servants. His slave, you mean, said Hermione, her voice rising shrilly, because he didn't pay Winky, did he? I think you'd all better go upstairs and check that you packed properly, said Mrs Weasley, breaking up the argument. Come on now, all of you. Harry repacked his broomstick servicing kit, put his firebolt over his shoulder and went back upstairs with Ron. The rain sounded even louder at the top of the house, accompanied by loud whistlings and moans from the wind, not to mention sporadic howls from the ghoul who lived in the attic. Pigwidgeon began twittering and zooming around his cage again when they entered. The sight of the half-packed trunks seemed to have sent him into a frenzy of excitement. Bung him some old treats, said Ron, throwing a packet across to Harry. It might shut him up. Harry poked a few owl treats through the bars of Pig Widgeon's cage, then turned to his trunk. Hedvig's cage stood next to it, still empty. 
It's been over a week, Harry said, looking at Hedvig's deserted perch. Ron, you don't think Sirius has been caught, do you? Nah, it had been in the Daily Prophet, said Ron. The Ministry would want to show they'd caught someone, wouldn't they? Yeah, I suppose. Look, here's the stuff Mum got you in Diagon Alley, and she's got some gold out of your vault for you, and she's washed all your socks. He heaved a pile of parcels onto Harry's camp bed and dropped the money bag and load of socks next to it. Harry started unwrapping the shopping. Apart from the standard book of spells grade four by Miranda Goshawk, he had a handful of new quills, a dozen rolls of parchment and refills for his potion-making kit. He'd been running low on spine of lionfish and essence of belladonna. He was just piling underwear into his cauldron when Ron made a loud noise of disgust behind him. What is that supposed to be? He was holding up something that looked to Harry like a long maroon velvet dress. It had a mouldy-looking lace frill at the collar and matching lace cuffs. There was a knock on the door, and Mrs Weasley entered carrying an armful of freshly laundered Hogwarts robes. Here you are, she said, sorting them into two. Now, mind you, pack them properly so they don't crease. Mum, you give me Ginny's new dress, said Ron, holding it out to her. Of course I haven't, said Mrs Weasley. That's for you. Dress robes. What? said Ron, looking horror-struck. Dress robes, repeated Mrs Weasley. It says on your school list that you're supposed to have dress robes this year. Robes for formal occasions. You've got to be kidding, said Ron, in this disbelief. I'm not wearing that. No way. Everyone wears them, Ron, said Mrs Weasley, crossly. They're all like that. Your father's got some for smart parties. I'll go starkest before I put that on, said Ron stubbornly. Don't be so silly, said Mrs Weasley. You've got to have dress robes. They're on your list. I got some for Harry too. Show him, Harry. In some trepidation, Harry opened the last parcel of his camp bed. It wasn't as bad as he'd expected, however. His dress robes didn't have any lace on them at all. In fact, they were more or less the same as his school ones, except they were bottle green instead of black. I thought they'd bring out the colour of your eyes, dear, said Mrs. Weasley fondly. Well, they're OK, said Ron angrily, looking at Harry's robes. Why couldn't I have some like that? Well, because... Mm, I had to get your second hand, and there wasn't a lot of choice, said Mrs Weasley, flushing. Harry looked away. He would have willingly have split all the money in his Grincott's vault with the Weasleys, but he knew they would never take it. I'm never wearing them, Ron was saying stubbornly. Never. Fine, snapped Mrs Weasley. Go naked. And Harry, make sure you get a picture of him. Goodness knows I could do with a laugh. He left, she left the room, slamming the door behind her. There was a funny, splintering noise from behind them.
pig Widgeon was choking on an overlarge owl treat. Why is everything I own rubbish? said Ron furiously, striding across the room to unstick Pigwidgeon's beak.